This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Yes, it is the Subway to Shea podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, what you like what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week. So by going on Apple Podcasts and leaving me a one to five star rating, hopefully it's five stars, and leaving comments in the review section, it could only help me to make this show better for you. If you are a new listener to the podcast, thanks for joining us. And if you've been a supporter this whole time, I can't thank you enough for coming on this journey with me each and every week. Make sure to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan-sided network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of each week's podcast. I don't have an article out this week, but I should have one out for next week's podcast. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the Fan Sided Network at Fan Sided. Now, before we get started this week, I wanted to thank Gary Mack, the host of Mets Musings, for having me on his show as a guest. We talked about the Mets managerial search and so much more. I will leave a link for that appearance on Mets Musings in the description of this week's episode, so make sure to check it out. So you're not getting a link to the Rising App articles this week. I don't have one out, but I am on Mets Musings, and I will leave that link so you can watch that on the description of this week's podcast. Let's get started with a special holiday edition of Subway to Shea. And joining me now is a very special guest. He is the New York Mets beat reporter, partnered with Sports Illustrated, Fan Nation, Pat Regazzo. Welcome to the Subway to Shea podcast. How are you doing, man? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. All right. This week, you have been on fire with your articles, and I thought it was a great time to bring you on and discuss them. Let's start off with the big news of the week, and that is that the Mets have finally found their man as Buck Schultwalter was named the 24th manager in franchise history. The hiring was announced Saturday from, of all people, Uncle Steve. Steve Cohen tweeted it out Saturday afternoon. Now, you said it so eloquently at the top of your article, the timing was right. And I also heard the same sentiment from uh, Mets radio broadcaster Howie Rose. He said basically the same thing, right pick at the right time with this roster. Why do you think this is the perfect time to bring in Buck? Well, it's the perfect time to bring in Buck because he's viewed as a win-now manager. And um, based off the Mets spending $254.5 million in free agency prior to the lockout, they signaled that they're in win-now from a personnel standpoint this year. And they brought in Billy Epler to be their general manager and kind of hit the ground running from there. You know, obviously getting Scherzer, Eduardo Escobar, Starling Marte, Mark Hanna. And they haven't, you know, provided any indication that they're done. Once the lockout's over, you know, you can probably expect them to, you know, continue to add to this roster that still has some holes 
remaining. So with Showalter, they're getting someone with experience. This is the fourth time in the last five years the Mets hired a manager and they had to get it right. The last two go-arounds of picking uh, Luis Rojas, who obviously replaced Carlos Beltran after the sign-stealing scandal was revealed, and uh, Mickey Callaway before that. Um, you know, the Mets went with two guys who had no big league managing experience and, uh, you know, Showalter has 20 years of that. And obviously the other two candidates and Joe Espada and Matt Charo might make good managers one day, but, um, you know, the Mets needed a short thing and there's, you know, there's really not more of a short thing than Buck Showalter and team president Sandy Alderson kind of nailed it on the head yesterday in the introductory presser for Buck where he said Buck came to about as close as a 10 out of 10 out of any candidate in baseball who they could have hired and um, I, I kind of agree with that sentiment and I feel like that's kind of what they're getting in the type of manager that Showalter is. Well, let's get into the press conference yesterday. I know there was a split amongst the fans on the hiring, but if you did not come away after it pumped up and inspired, then I don't think you will ever be satisfied as a fan. He has such a huge personality and you add the fact that he's a great baseball mind. You know, I basically can listen to him talk baseball all day. You were on the Zoom call. So what were your initial thoughts on Buck through the whole process? Well, first of all, my initial takeaway was, uh, you know, what an outgoing personality Showalter has. And I guess that's been, you know, kind of portrayed in his media career. Um, you know, after he left the Texas Rangers in the late 2000s, he, you know, took a job with ESPN, was on their Baseball Tonight team, uh, you know, in the studio. And then, of course, the last three years, he's been on Yes Network and MLB Network as an analyst. And um, not only does he bring great knowledge to, you know, to the dugout, but also he's got that personality and that extra kind of, uh, you know, I guess, persona that probably will connect well with the players today. I know that was one of the questions that he was asked was how is he going to connect with the ball players today? And if he thinks that they're different from when he, you know, throughout his man managerial career, of course they are because he managed in the nineties, he managed in, you know, the two thousands and then he managed, uh, you know, in the 2010s as well. So I, I think that the players are probably going to love him. And he also comes in with that respect. And he talked a lot about accountability and how Steve Cohen and the Mets are eliminating excuses based off, um, you know, building out their analytics department, which is something he, you know, wished that they had, the funding for when he was in Baltimore. So he's someone who's very adaptable, utilizes information, and just kind of has the ability to connect with a number of different people and personalities. And uh, I really think that um, you know, that's kind of, uh, you know, we talk about nailing the introductory presser, but, you know, Buck really hit it on the head and it's definitely not his first that he's had. And it's not his first one he's had in New York either. So yeah, really positive stuff from the, uh, you know, the initial intro of Buck Walter. And you talked about the connection with the people, you know, not only the players and the front office, but the media as well. I feel that is a very important note in the hiring. You know, After dealing with Mickey Calloway and Luis Rojas the last four seasons, hearing Buck is a breath of fresh air. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And Showalter said it yesterday. He said, you know, accountability and responsibility is not for everybody. So, you know, at the same time, they're going to come in, he's going to come in and he's going to get to know the players and he's going to find out who it's for and who it's not. So I really like that message from him. And uh, that's something he's known for is, is kind of holding his players accountable and also managing these superstars on the team and not making sure that guys aren't, don't feel like they're above the team and everyone's kind of like an equal and working together towards the same goal. I read a lot about how he did so with a young Manny Machado who was a budding superstar with the Orioles uh, last decade when Buck, of course, was his manager for the first six seasons of his career. So yeah, it's just like kind of something that it's definitely a breath of fresh air because it's something Walter has done in the past and something that, um, you know, the Mets are kind of in need of and they're in need of that adult in the room, that one leadership voice that they've lacked for a number of years now. And you mentioned Manny Machado. So many players and people in the media and the front offices have come to bat for Buck, uh, Adam Jones, even Max Scherzer from the Mets, you know, Michael Kay. So many people have wanted this to be Buck's job. And it, it pretty much, I, I don't know if 
that had any influence on whether Steve was going to make that move or if Steve knew if from the beginning or if there was some chance that a Quattraro or even a uh, Espada could get the job. But having uh, all of that, you know, behind Buck only added, and we we look at his resume, you discussed it in your article, I talked about it last week on my show, basically, basic summary, 20-year career, three-time manager of the year, helped rebuild the Yankees in the early 90s, in the end of the 90s, he built the Diamondbacks from scratch, he also ended the Orioles' playoff drought, all good enough reasons to bring in this veteran, this baseball lifer on board, probably the biggest check mark for me being his experience working in New York, how important do you think that was during the hiring process? I think it was definitely important just because, you know, you've seen how some of the prior candidates kind of dealt with, you know, the noise and, you know, kind of when the walls were caving in and Buck Showalter has been there before and been on the media side, he's been on the managerial side and, and he knows that there's, you know, the utmost expectation to win and deliver right away in New York. And obviously it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows, but he's been in the trenches, you know, in the past. So he knows how to kind of deal with that and, and kind of weather the storm there and keep the team together. So it's definitely a positive, you know, having that New York experience. And I said it in the past about Billy too. I mean, you know, the Mets were mentioned in their, you know, executive search, you know, looking for, you know, shooting for the stars, obviously. And, you know, after Billy Bean and Theo Epstein and David Stearns, but they wound up falling into a pretty good hire with Billy Epler, who has the experience. And although things didn't work out with the Angels, you know, he was with the Yankees for 11 seasons. He was their scouting director and then assistant GM to Brian Cashman. So just someone who kind of knows the temperature and can read the room of this market. And and it's the hardest, you know, it's the hardest place to play and and to perform. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a good thing to have those two guys there now it's funny you bring up billy epler i don't know about you but hearing buck and even billy speak you know the organization already feels different it feels like we have a professional front office doesn't feel like a circus at the moment but what we're hearing at the start from both of them buck and billy you know there will be like you said there will be accountability which seemed to have lacked in this organization for such a long time not only on the field but off the field you know you had the rat rat raccoon you had zach scott's issue so many things the mickey calloway i know that all can change but it feels great to just have a little bit of confidence in this organization do you get those feelings as well yeah i i would say that i do and you know situations like the rat raccoon incident between lindor and mcneil buck's gonna have to come in and find out what happened between them you know kind of salvage that relationship and see if they can make it work at least right now jeff mcneil's penciled in to be the everyday second baseman next year so obviously there needs to be uh some chemistry between your middle infielders and uh even like thumbs down incident i know javier Baez is gone now he's gone to the Tigers but you know the Mets players were essentially booing their fans and that's just kind of the type of stuff that I don't think Buck Showalter is going to put up with so again like it just goes back to having an adult in the room and having that leadership voice uh, and I think it's going to help this roster out you know a lot and and last year the Mets were more of a young team but now they have that nice mix of veterans and and young players and I think guys like Pete Alonzo and Brandon Nimmo and Jeff McNeil like the presence of Buck Showalter will help those guys in their development. It'll help Lindor, who kind of was adjusting to playing in the New York market and playing on that massive deal. Well, the massive deal actually kicks in this year, but, you know, it was after he signed it, of course, and then played his first season with the Mets, and it didn't start off well. Then it finished pretty well. You know, he had his hot month of September, nine home runs, 25 RBIs, and, you know, an OPS north of 900. So, um, yeah, I think Buck's just going to kind of help with all those guys. And then, obviously, having a guy like Max Scherzer now and Jacob DeGrom, like, it's just going, I think it'll just be a good fit all around. There's so much to take away from 
from what it was like an hour press conference with Buck. I, I feel like he could, some of his answers were so long, he could just talk for days. But he addressed two big concerns that were talked about in bringing him in that a lot of fans had issues with, obviously, you know, the age and, and how he would adapt. Those concerns he answered very well, being his use of analytics and ability to adapt to new concepts or handling of the clubhouse personalities. I'm going to read, like, go back and read a couple of quotes in regards to analytics. He goes, if you think I'm going to let somebody beat us by having better analytical info or because someone on the staff doesn't understand it, then I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to show you. He goes, I'm fascinated by it. Believe me, there are some guys down there that are going to say, can I get a break from him? Now, I don't know if you've seen, I think it's um, Buck Showalter, Baseball Life on MLB Network, but for whoever hasn't seen it, they should watch it. I think that there was a misconception about how he handles, you know, data and analytics. He even talked about his wife helping him out with uh, filling out sheets and stuff like that. What did you think of his answers to that whole analytical situation? Because they weren't going to hire him if he wasn't going to, I guess, get with, you know, a part of that program because they're... They've hired such a team with that analytics. Yeah, I think it's a promising, you know, statement from Buck. I mean, uh, you know, it goes back to what I said earlier, you know, in this conversation about, you know, how he had wished that they had the funding in Baltimore to, you know, to increase their data and their analytics, you know, providing for the major league staff. And the Mets have done that. They hired Ben Zalzmer away from the Dodgers last year to be their director of the analytics department. And they've kind of built out that staff from there and have, you know, one of the largest staffs in baseball now going from, you know, I think like six employees to now almost 20, you know, and continuing to expand so I think it's a promising sign that, you know, Buck Walter is so adaptable and willing and welcoming of that data and information because there's certainly going to be a ton of it. And I'm going to go back to what Billy Epler said uh, during the introductory presser for Sully Marte, Mark Hanna, and Eduardo Escobar. He said it's going to be the job of the manager, obviously, to, uh, you know, to receive that data, use it as a roadmap. But, you know, when you're on the hike, you're on the trail, you're not accounting for the data or the roadmap doesn't account for, um, you know, a fallen tree in the forest or a bear or a fire. Like that's going to be, you know, the manager's job to adjust and, you know, decide on the matchups and, and the, you know, those fluid uh, scenarios that come up during a baseball game and making in-game decisions. And now Buckshell, while there's not perfect, I mean, he's known for, uh, you know, keeping his elite closer, Zach Britton, in the bullpen in the 2016 wildcard game because they were on the road in the tie game. And, you know, they wound up losing next year to the Toronto Blue Jays. But, you know, I think he's someone who learns from his mistakes and, you know, he's willing to listen to other people while also applying what he's learned over the course of, you know, 20 years managing in a big league dugout. So I think that makes with you know his attitude towards analytics and the way he plans to utilize it is is going to probably be a good fit with the Mets. And in regards to the clubhouse and how he's going to handle that, he goes, "Thank gosh, everybody is not robotic. Last thing I want to do suppress a personality. Could you imagine how boring it'd be if everyone was the same? I'm looking forward to getting to know these guys and basically finding out what they need from me." So. He seems like a very uh, oriented person to, you know, work with and and he is going to try to get the best out of his players, which he's always done uh, to the best of his ability to what the team has been put in front of him. Like we mentioned before, you know, Machado came out to talk about him. Even uh, even Max Scherzer came out and and gave him the endorsement. What do you think of him? And, and you know, obviously, you know, he's 65 years old. He's a very old school type manager, but he he also is ready to learn uh, from the players as well as what they can learn from him. I think that's the right attitude to have, you know, when it comes down to it. You know, he said, 
the front office, it's their job, obviously, to put, you know, the right players on the field, the right talent in the clubhouse. And, um, you know, he mentioned the Mets already have, you know, loads of talent on the team and a lot of them underperformed last year. So, uh, you know, it's a manager and the coaching staff's job to get make the most out of that talent. And, uh, you know, it obviously starts with getting to know the guys and, and forming that chemistry. And I, I really think, you know, based on what I've heard from him and, and just his personality, you know, mixed with his baseball knowledge and, uh, you know, skill set kind of, I, th- I do think that it'll kind of all work well together with the, you know, with the team that they've established so far. And, you know, obviously the manager who they brought in and now, you know, he's getting ready to pick a coaching staff. And um, I saw a quote from him earlier this afternoon, actually from the New York Daily News that, uh, you know, Showalter said, like, he's not just looking to bring in his friends or familiarity. He's looking for the guys who are going to get the job done. So, um, you know, that's also a very positive uh, sign that he's already saying that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be their job to get Jeff McNeil and James McCann and Francisco Lindor to bounce back while also having guys like Pete Alonso take the next step and Brandon Nimmo and Charlie Marte and Eduardo Escobar. So yeah, they got it. They got a pretty nice mix. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be exciting, I guess, to see what they do with the, you know, the hand that they're dealt. Once again, I'm here with Pat Ragazzo, New York Mets beat reporter, partnered with Sports Illustrated and Fan Nation. Make sure to check out his work. Let's move on to the coaching staff because that's probably what's next up for the Mets. Is Carlos Beltran a real possibility for bench coach? Um, I would say right now, uh, you know, all we've heard is that Steve Cohen, when he back when he was minority owner of the Mets a couple of years ago, when the Wilpons were still in control and hired Beltran as manager, Steve Cohen was enamored by the hire. But I don't know if I necessarily see it as a possibility uh, for two reasons. Number one, if Beltran were to come on as a bench coach or possible outfield coach, you know, it would create a sort of distraction, I think, and a bit of buzz because he looked at for, you know, three years on Buck's contract as, you know, as a, you know, most sensible successor for him after Buck is ready to hang it up, whether it be at the end of this contract or, you know, possibly a a second contract. So one, I think that's kind of not good, uh, you know, to kind of have that, you know, elephant in the room there for a number of years. And two, Buck Showalter is actually the first one to, you know, peg out the Astro sign stealing Mm -hmm. and banging on trash cans incident um, in the 2017 season. It was a, I believe, a series in May of 2017. Uh, Andy Martino, and he wrote a book about the cheating Astros, and he highlighted this and actually brought it up today, that Buck and GM of the Orioles at the time, Dan Duquette, are the ones who realized that the Astros were very much on every pitch, and and it was pretty obvious that some sort of sign stealing was going on, and Buck Showalter is, like, probably the most observant manager in the game, or one of them, at least, and, uh, you know, he picked up on it and knew that they were doing something, and, um, you know, he's someone who prides himself in, in hiding the, you know, the uh, the signs from other teams, and um, I just feel like that might not, you know, be the best fit, you know, right now with Buck and, and with the, you know, culture they're trying to build, and, you know, while we do keep hearing that Beltran, you know, he bring it up that Beltron could potentially come back to the organization eventually. I just don't really see it being on Buck's staff. Now, let, before we get into some of the names that you have mentioned in uh, one of your articles, what do you think that they're going to be looking for? Obviously, you got Buck, who's you know the veteran there. Are they going to go with someone more analytically driven, or you know, like you said, someone younger, maybe to potentially in three years when his contract's up, take over? I mean, it does kind of make sense for them to someone maybe younger and more analytically driven for, you know, on their bench coach, you know, whether it is Beltron or, or another candidate. And then, um, you know, guys like Brian Butterfield, who I mentioned in my article and has been brought up before, you know, has a great reputation as a third base coach. He was just let go from the from the Los Angeles Angels, actually, after last season. But uh, not only does he have a reputation as a bench coach, but he's, or a third base coach, but he's been one of the, um, 
you know, best infield coaches in the game over the last couple of decades. And he's been credited for helping Orlando Hudson defensively at second base, win two gold gloves in 2005 and 2006. And uh, he helped Aaron Hill switch from shortstop to second baseman and become an above average second baseman defensively. So I think that's something that would help out Jeff McNeil if they plan on, uh, you know, keeping him at second base next season and beyond. So I think Butterfield is someone who makes sense just based off his prior working relationship with Buck Showalter. He was with him uh, with the Yankees for two seasons and then with the Diamondbacks for three seasons and uh, just has a great reputation, obviously. And then, uh, yeah, like it's going to be interesting to see who they who they wind up picking as bench coach. And you mentioned some of the people who have either worked with Buck Showalter or who have played for him, like a Wayne Kirby you mentioned, and R. Diaz. But also, you talked about uh, Jim Presley and I think it was John Russell. What do you yeah. think of those names? Well, they obviously have the Buck Showalter connection and, you know, all those names you just mentioned were with him during his time in Baltimore for either the the entirety of his, uh, you know, tenure in Baltimore or for a number of years. Um, with Jim Presley, it didn't exactly end well. Um, he was let go after the 2014 season and he kind of is known for his offenses, uh, you know, not emphasizing on-base percentage and, and patience at the plate, which is something the Mets struggled with last year. Not in the on-base on department, you know, so to say, but more so just like lacking discipline and, and, you know, not having a stellar approach offensively, which is kind of what led to, you know, down seasons from a number of proven hitters in the past. So the Presley thing, uh, you know, it's just a name who, you know, he's linked to who he has worked with in the past and they have had some level of success. And then John Russell was his bench coach from 2011 to 2018. And Wayne Kirby was on his staff as first base and outfield coach. And the Mets are obviously look, you know, they're all available and the Mets are looking to fill that position. So it's definitely possibility. And, you know, the names who kind of connect with Buck, but there are some other available names around the game who probably will emerge in the next, in the coming weeks or so as, you know, Buck and the Mets, you know, continue to fill out the staff. And there's so many positions that they need, bullpen coach, assistant pitching coach, uh, coordinator. Uh, they have a lot of work cut out for them, but I'm sure that Buck and Billy are going to be working in tandem to put together the best staff possible. Yeah, I would agree with that because it's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's the manager's, you know, main say of, of who he wants on his staff. But at the same time, there's going to be a collaborative effort between Buck and uh, Billy Epler and, and the rest of the Mets front office. Now, final thing before I let you go, let's talk about one of my favorite players on the Mets right now, Brandon Nimmo. Looks like the Mets are interested in a contract extension with him. What are you hearing on that front? Well, with Nimmo, of course, he's, you know, he's proven that he's been one of the top on-base players in baseball over the course of the last four seasons or so. The only Achilles heel with Nimmo is that, you know, he's struggled with uh, some injury issues in the past. Um, he had a herniated disc in his neck, which caused him to miss almost close to 100 games in 2019. And then last year, he missed, you know, two months with a torn ligament at the bit near the base of his uh, index finger and then dealt with a hamstring, a short stint for a hamstring strain down the stretch of the season. So um, obviously health's a concern, but performance-wise, Nimmo, you know, is a spark plug and, you know, does does everything the right way. And it's kind of like that scrappy guy who you want at the top of your lineup. So um, yeah, I totally could see the Mets, you know, going to the table with him in spring training. Sounds like they're already interested in doing so. And, you know, maybe working out a long-term deal to lock him up, you know, that that kind of you know plays out and, and and is a win for both sides so these types of deals normally get done you know locking up a player who's entering a contract year um you know during spring training uh so that's something that i could definitely see the mets doing you know once this lockout's over and it said that maybe uh, seven years 125 mil uh, do you think that that's worth it for brandon considering the injuries and everything i know that you know michael conforto was kind of wanting more than that especially being with Scott Boris, 
but I feel like they're kind of in line as the same player. Maybe Nimmo a little more valuable in, in regards to war. What are your thoughts on you know the difference between Conforto and Nimmo? Well, with Conforto, he is kind of a different type of player. I mean, he's he's better defensively, and that's no knock to Nimmo in the outfield. But Conforto's become you know almost a Gold Glove caliber right fielder in the last couple of years, and he hits for more power, drives in more runs. But um, you know, he's a middle of the order hitter, to whereas Nimmo is you know that kind of table setter at the top of the lineup and gets on base. You know, at the He's produced a 398 on base percentage since the start of 2018, which is uh, fourth best in the league, I believe, behind some elite hitters in Juan Soto and Mike Trout. So with Nemo, yeah, he might, you kind of hit it on the head there. Like he might be a little more valuable with what he brings and, and kind of brings it like a different skill set. And then Conforto is more of that middle of the order hitter, you know, power bat. You know, he's extremely above average glove in, in right field and, and has a really good arm out there as well. But at the same time, like I do see, you know, the projection, and it was just a projection of what I was brought up based off a rival agent who I spoke to you know about Nimmo and I I think that type of deal would be you know good for the Mets and you know Nimmo probably uh you know based off the value he brings uh you know might might be looking to get a little more but at the same time he does have that injury history which kind of does make it a risk well Pat I can't thank you enough for joining me let everyone know where they can find your work and what you're working on and uh, where they can reach you on social media of course so you can shoot me a follow on Twitter at Regazzo Report R-A-G-A-Z-Z-O and uh you can check out all my work on the Mets and coverage on the Mets on si.com slash MLB Mets and the site is settled inside the Mets um, and I yeah, can't thank you enough for having me today it was a you know a blast talking to you about the Mets awesome Pat once again thank you so much and I hope you can come on the show again real soon would love to thanks a lot and happy holidays happy holidays to you too take care my friend that was Pat Ragazzo New York Mets beat reporter partnered with Sports Illustrated slash Fan Nation. Make sure to check out his work and follow him on Twitter. He's a good follow. He has good information. And that's all we want when we're talking about the New York Mets. So my final thoughts before this train leaves the station, the Mets and Samsung have come to a deal to update and create a technologically advanced ballpark at City Field. And here's the announcement I'm going to read right from it, uh, from the Samsung newsroom. The New York Mets announced Samsung Electronics America as the ballpark's official display and technology solutions partner, signing a multi-year deal to deliver a complete transformation of the famous ballpark screens to create an interactive fan experience like never before. And they showed some pictures. I don't know if you've seen them on Twitter. I'm pretty sure you have. Screens throughout the outfield. Screens all across the ballpark. 1,300 LCD screens are expected to be a part of the enhancements for the 2022 season. But that's not it. A new, larger, and enhanced center field scoreboard will be installed for fans' enjoyment for the 2023 season. And uh, they showed, they kind of showed a picture of what the screen could possibly look like. I don't know why they took it down. I don't know if that's just a rendering or how they're going to do it. But uh, Samsung also, here's how everything will look. This is straight from Samsung Newsroom. So if it kind of sounds verbatim for me, it's because I'm just reading it off of their website and it's going to take a two-year span at city field to make this like i said the technologically advanced ballpark at city field we mentioned more than 1300 lcd screens and 4,000 square feet of direct view 
LED screens in public spaces, enhancing the fan experience at every touch point, and even alerting them when their team merchandise is ready for pickup, which I think that's pretty cool. A ballpark-wide IPTV system that will carry nearly 100 channels of sports and entertainment content, double the number of slow motion replay systems, and three times as many cameras for increased game coverage. Also, like we said before, this enhanced big scoreboard that we're talking about that's possibly coming in 2023, it's gonna have 4K video on it, which is pretty cool. So that's gonna start in the 2022 season and go through 2023 when they put together the big screen out there, the big scoreboard that's out in center field. I already thought it was big enough, but they're gonna make it even bigger which I'm not complaining about. I like when we get to see enhancements at the ballpark, and Steve Cohen is heading that and and wants this experience at City Field to be amazing, just like the Mets. One last thing, Mark Kotze was named the Oakland Athletics manager. I know that has nothing to do with the Mets, but kind of does. Kotze is replacing Bob Melvin, and Bob Melvin, as you know, went to the San Diego Padres, and he is the manager that Sandy Alderson wanted for the Mets, but he was taken by the San Diego Padres. The Mets had the opportunity to bring in Bob Melvin around, I want to say, the time that they brought in Terry Collins, so, you know, it is what it is, and I'm happy with Buck Showalter. So, they also passed on Joe Espana and Matt Catraro, so it's not their time yet. The Mets weren't the only ones that passed on those two. I don't know the reason why. All we heard was good things about both of them, how well they did in their interviews, but still have not been hired to be managers. I assume that Joe Espada will eventually become the manager of the Houston Astros once Dusty Baker retires. And Matt Catraro, I don't know, with Kevin Cash in Tampa... I don't know if he's going to be manager anytime soon. We'll see what his future holds. And that right there, my friends, is going to wrap up this episode of the Subway to Shea podcast. Please take a few minutes to write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week for you Met fans out there. So by going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five, hopefully you're giving me five stars, and leaving comments in the review section. It will only help me make this show better for you. Now you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. You can listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Also, I'm a contributor for Rising Apple, a New York Mets site on the fan-sided network. You can check out my articles on risingapple.com and check out all the other contributors as well. They put great content out there and it's something that you should definitely give a look, give a read, and make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I appreciate you all so very much and I wanted to wish you a very happy holidays and a very Merry Christmas. I hope to see you guys next week before the new year. But until then, that will do it for this week's episode of Subway to Shape Podcast. Always remember to listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go Mets. <laughs>